0: where two large adult siblings talk about movies, comics, TV, and whatever else. We spend a lifetime together so you can spend some time with us. Now, uh, what is this glowing green orb that seems to be corrupting my soul next to me? I am the sum of all the
1: evils.
0: Your nice co-host. to meet you. Yeah, your co-host. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, that really worked. how you said that we spent a lifetime together and then nice to meet you.
0: <laughs> the um, king of improv. Yeah,
1: uh, the, that opening is. It feels like uh, when Tina Fey took over Update, but like they couldn't quite land on a, like a, a tagline. Yeah. So it's like I'm Jimmy Fallon and I'm mm-hmm. Tina Fey and when we get together, it's news. Is this Nickelodeon?
0: What was <laughs> that?
1: Like, yeah. Uh, but. And fittingly enough, uh, you know, I don't think he's very funny, but Chevy Chase did have one of the better ones of those, the I'm mm. Chevy Chase and you're not. Yeah, that is a good one. Which A, is funny, and B, as the years go by, it's just like, it's such an affirmative message. Yeah. Like, oh, you're, God, thanks, I was having a bad day, and you say stuff like that, and it just cheers me up. Just messages like, we are all made of the same stuff as the stars are, or you're not Chevy
0: Chase. <laughs> Just <laughs> a big old grin on my face. In your darkest hour, always realize you're not Chevy Chase. Yeah.
1: Uh, speaking of uh, Chevy Chase, uh, he's not in the movie we're going to discuss today, but he kind of feels like he would yeah, be. Yeah, he really like, feels like he should be. He, he very well could have been based on the talent behind the movie. Um,
0: what, what movie are we talking about? I, no one told me. I'm not prepared. We are talking about the classic animated sci-fi film, Heavy Metal. Yeah, uh, Heavy
1: Metal from 1981. Uh, And I mentioned this to a friend last night. I said I watched Heavy Metal, and they said, do you mean the original Heavy Metal or Heavy Metal 2000? And I said, oh, the real one. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, maybe maybe we'll say a few words about that at the end, but... uh, Yeah, we're talking about the original, real, heavy metal, the Canadian film from 1981, starring uh, pretty much anybody from Canada at the time. Yeah, (laughs) basically the entire cast of SCTV. Yeah, just uh, in character, so like (laughs) Jimmy LaRue and Ed Grimley. That's barely even a joke, by the way, (laughs) if you listen to some Because every short either has no speaking roles, Mm -hmm. or the speaking roles are clearly just like the SCTV. Uh, Again... Not the cast of actors on SCTV like Rick Moranis, the cast of characters that work at the fictional SCTV.
0: <laughs>
1: and of course, you like get the, the five neat guys <laughs> provide the soundtrack <laughs> along with Devo. And of course, you get the wonderful line
0: from John Candy. Uh,
1: oh, oh, yeah, we'll
0: we'll we'll get to that. But go ahead. You get the wonderful line from John Candy. Oh no, they can see my dork. No, that's not, that's not what he says. You you ruined. It. You ruined.
1: <laughs> uh, no, there is mention of John Candy's uh, dork, mm-hmm. uh, much like Wolfman, he does have one. Um, but I, I don't want to uh, start with that because that's maybe my favorite thing about the movie. <laughs> so I'm like, we'll, we'll get there definitely. Mm. Um, so uh, usually we have like a, a reason. Why we cover these things. So we did like Vampire Hunter D for Halloween. Or we did um, the X-Men movies because the franchise had pretty much wrapped up at Fox. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the impetus for me to talk about the now 40-year-old heavy metal movie was that uh, I, we couldn't think of anything else for an episode. And I had just watched it the weekend before. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute. I have a good idea. Doesn't involve any research.
0: Good uh, enough.
1: I would uh, having been totally upfront with that. This does kind of sound like the shit we usually talk about. Yes, about. So it does. This isn't other. This isn't like I showed up and went like, "Yeah, I'd like to talk about uh, Neil Labute's uh, 1998 film, Your Friends and Neighbors." Yeah. Uh, a disappointing follow-up to the already disappointing In the Company
0: of Men. <laughs> yeah, the, from a deeply disappointing human being. <laughs> it's like a few episodes we did Spine of Night. Why the hell wouldn't we do heavy metal? <laughs> yeah, Spine of so
1: this episode, we're talking about Spine of Night's dad. <laughs> yeah, after we finished talking about Spine of Night, uh, this van pulled up and he just like, horn started honking, and Spine of Night went, "I gotta go, guys. My dad has me this weekend." And he grabbed his guitar and his single Wendy's hamburger and went out to meet him. So uh, I like your movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like a good version of the movie Onwards. I don't, know, I don't even give a shit about Onwards. I just... I've I like, seen it in the background at a friend's house, and I like the idea of like fantasy aesthetic mixed with fantasy van aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But then I also went, oh, this has Chris Pratt in it, so it can't be good. <laughs> it's not that I watched it and assessed it. I'm like, well, this bad film that's playing in the background. <laughs> um, anyways, plenty to say about this one, but uh, do, do you have any... Uh, opening argument, Counselor?
0: Um, it Well, he- Heavy Metal is actually... All these stories in the movie are based on stories from the anthology magazine, Heavy Metal. Yeah. Virtually all of them. Yeah, yeah, virtually all of them. And uh, the magazine began in France as Metal Hurlon, which means Screaming Metal, which I think is a better title. I, okay, you're right on. I do think you botched the pronunciation. I think it's in
1: French. It's actually called The two types of French accent either the you know the Inspector Clouseau, the, the very nasal, I will bring for you the very best brie that we have in the house. <laughs> That accent, or or else it's either that or like the guy who was uh, Charles De Gaulle's right hand man in the underground. Is it? Like, je, je suis. Le, je suis le Molotov cocktail through the police car window. Je suis le that one French cop with the BBL that's in that video. I don't think she sounds like that. Um, yeah. So, Metal He-Lot largely is, uh, I think everybody started working there eventually, but largely a showcase initially for, uh, Mobius, or, or Mebius, or however it's pronounced. Yeah, I think I think it's Mobius. Yeah. Um, n- not, not exclusively, but I think he was kind of the main attraction, which, uh, look at his art. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> my God. He's one of those guys where we would not have... Anything without people ripping him off? Mm-hmm.
0: Just I mean, the like the French Jack Kirby essentially. Yeah, but that's not overstating it, is it? Jack Kirby actually said, "No, I'm the American Moebius." Really? Yeah. It was one of those things like uh, when Chuck Jones said, uh, uh, "June
1: Foray isn't the uh, female Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc is the male June Foray." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, they were just as talented. And she was better at living for a hundred years. <laughs> Not perfect at it, but she was better at it. Was it like 99.9? I think something like that. I love her. Okay, weirdly she's not in this either. (laughs) One of like two animated movies made in her lifetime, that she wasn't done. Uh, So anyways, yeah, based on Heavy Metal Magazine. Go on with your story.
0: (laughs) Based on Heavy Metal Magazine, uh, there are a lot of characters that appear. uh, Captain Stern. Um... Does Rain Xerox appear? I don't know who or what that is. He's the guy with no nose. I don't think so.
1: I mean, maybe it's like in the background or something, but he, hes not. Uh,
0: he doesn't get like a story if that's what you mean. Oh. Uh, and the John the John Candy character—I forget his name. Dan. Dan, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I watched this last week. <laughs> uh,
1: no, it's—I mean seen it once you have seen it yeah uh it's based on several popular characters and i think one or i think there are one or two original pieces but they're very much in the uh the style of the original publication Mm -hmm. and if we did like the history of heavy metal magazine that would be its own episode but it's obviously amazing um and This is not, like, universally true of heavy metal. I think Heavy Metal magazine did plenty of stories that were sincerely intended. Yeah. But there's a thing that you see, especially in European publications, where things are neither 100% percent po faced sincere, Mm. nor are they straight-up parodies. Yeah. I feel like, maybe less these days, but certainly for a while, the American approach was it's either a parody mm-hmm. or it's played straight. Yeah. Whereas in, uh, you know, mainland Europe, real Europe, or like the UK, if you look at the United Kingdom, they have stuff like Judge Dread and mm-hmm. Warhammer, which is, is not intended like as a joke, but it has a satirical element. Yeah. So when you see like the God Emperor in Warhammer, or you see a character like Judge Death and Judge mm-hmm. Dread, like, Yes, that's that's the joke. Yeah, like we we understand that Judge Dredd is acting like this. We we're, mm. we're doing that on purpose, and uh, it, there's like a degree of irony, which uh, I, I don't buy the old thing like Americans don't get irony, <laughs> but it's more like we there was maybe a period of time where it was like Americans understand irony, we just don't like it very much. Yeah. <laughs> that's maybe more accurate. Um. And I don't know, we had, like maybe we've come around completely, whereas now I wish like sci-fi and action movies were less ironic. Yeah. Uh, I wish every movie didn't turn to the audience and go like, You believe
0: this? Yeah, that has become a real bane in a lot of yeah uh, these movies. And not the good bane in the movie, yeah. the one with the weird voice and the huge triceps. Yeah.
1: So I, I would you know, heavy metal is all over the place in terms of its contents. But I think there was a lot of stuff in there where uh, it, it can be taken in different turns. So, case in point, a character like Den mm-hmm. is at the same time just a pure, almost libidinous, yeah. like a barely conscious uh, attempt to tell a barbarian story that's just like pure lust and violence. hmm and then at the same time, there's the extra element of like, well, it's a like a kid who gets transported into that world and some of the adventures are kind of zany. Yeah. So I feel like that's a tone that can easily uh, fall one way or the other and just totally let, like slip off the tightrope. Uh, I feel like the movie does it very well. Yeah. This is a movie that really does not outstay its welcome and does not put on airs Mm -hmm. in terms of what it's uh, trying to be. And I feel like it came out of a weird period in uh, the late 70s, early 80s, where Mm -hmm. this was maybe the right time for Heavy Metal to come out. Yeah. And I don't just mean because, like, everyone was getting high and reading, like, titty magazines and, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's not technically that different from now. It's (laughs) just everything's online is the only difference. Um... So, uh, do you know anything
0: about the history of uh, how the movie came to be? I don't. But something I wanted to say oh, okay. was yeah. that uh, talking about how the... Uh... Actually, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to, to throw you off there or anything. No, that's okay. Well, if, if you remember, uh, please do let me know. But um, The production itself is not especially... Storied or uh, extravagant. This is this is not going to be like a Thief and the Cobbler backstory to the film. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it got made at all is just because of kind of funny, weird circumstance. Because the most popular uh, comedic magazine at the time, and it, you know, as far as people treat it like the only comedic magazine at the time, it's National yeah. Lampoon. So uh, they had just made. Uh, Animal House, a movie which I don't particularly like, but, uh, it it obviously is like a big deal and was enormously successful, and Ivan Reitman, the Czechoslovakian director of Animal House. uh, (laughs) Czechoslovakian. I always find that kind of weird. Uh, he's, uh, Czech by birth, or Slovak by birth, like, I don't know, he's a million now. Uh, But, yes, uh, Ivan Reitman produced Animal House. Uh, It was directed by a talented murderer, John Landis. And it's obviously a huge success, Animal House. Uh, And they did a weird thing where, obviously, Animal House begat a whole bunch of frat comedies
0: Yeah, and, like, every,
1: like, meatball and porkies and Revenge of the Nerds. You can feel it all the way into American Pie. Yeah, but it's the same way, like, uh, you know, Patton Oswalt joked about, like, how he recorded The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and then TiVo kept suggesting movies with horses in them. Yeah. Like, that's how its brain worked. Or, like, I clicked on one, like you know, Virgin Chad meme on my Instagram once, and now it won't stop showing me like uh Deplorable Patriot 82 has a new hilarious take about yeah that Biden speech where we're not the crybabies. I love the algorithm. Yeah. So uh, now I can't get rid of that shit. now now my Instagram uh algorithm just stinks like when Seinfeld couldn't get rid of his car. <laughs> Um, it's like, no, no, Ted Cruz is like super funny. Like he should quit his day job, please. <laughs> i looking up. Says porn. Yeah, exactly. See, very funny online. <laughs> um, that, so, okay. But it has that weird thing of like, th- this is what you wanted, right? You wanted movies with horses in them. Yeah. And you're like, no, I just, I watched Unforgiven. It doesn't mean I want to watch Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. <laughs> like that, there's an aesthetic difference there. I feel like a similar thing happened with Animal House, where Animal House is a hit, so people are like, "Okay, let's do a bunch of frat comedies. Let's do a bunch of movies where like forty year old coke addicts like rape women or whatever." Like we all know what '80s movies are like. Yeah, don't don't you not age well. Yeah, but I, I don't. I don't want to do that thing of in like 2022. People are like, "Man, there's so much rape in '80s comedies." Anybody Anybody noticed this? Hey, yeah. hey are, are TV dinners cold even after you cook them? Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, we, we know. That's why I don't watch them. <laughs> like, yeah. It was like, mission mission accomplished. But uh, I feel like there was, like, a TiVo recording horses. Because in addition to all the college movies, some producer brain was like, huh, people really like movies based on magazines. Yeah. We should do, like, a Time Life magazine. And, like, a poor Richards uh, movie. <laughs> who can we get to play Goofus and Gallant? <laughs> well, that's that could be a whole episode of the actors who are clearly Goofuses and Gallants of each other. Because yeah. <laughs> it's usually, like, a brother. Like, you remember the whole, like, Sean Connery yeah. versus his brother? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his brother's name? Neil Connery. Neil Connery. Uh, so, it, it's, like, uh, Alec Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin... Mm -hmm. But then as much as I hate Stephen Baldwin, he hasn't killed anybody yet. Yeah. So now Alec Baldwin's the goofus. Uh, So yeah, somebody uh, did a, oh, well, clearly like magazines are super popular. And it just so happened that just because of the vagaries of publishing, the uh, people who published National Lampoon were the people who published heavy metal. Hmm. You know, like the translated version of Mithahedol, of of M. Hulot's Holiday (laughs) magazine. Um, So they went ahead and just produced a movie based on this, which at the time, like, Sword and Sorcery was, I guess, as popular as it was ever going to get. And it, it was that weird period of, like, there was not a lot of call for adult animation but nobody was telling anybody not to make anything. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I find that to be, because we, we go through cycles of like guys in the 50s or certainly now
0: mm-hmm.
1: where it's like the cigar-chomping producer and now it's just the, the vaping producer. But mm-hmm. Kids don't want to see Ma's pictures. You can't put Ma's in a title. <laughs> yeah. I feel like 1981 was one of those eras where it was just, yeah, let's, let's do like a, PG version of John Gardner's Grendel like whatever yeah um, so they go ahead and make Heavy Metal and uh, I think it was they originally went to Nelvana to produce it because they that were makes sense, cause they were the Canadian yeah. yeah Nelvana said thanks but no thanks because they were working on their own dream project which you know what that was Rock and Rule Rock and Rule so we uh, I don't think Rock and Rule was terribly successful at the time but we basically got two awesome movies coming because of this. <laughs> yeah, like Rock and Rule is just a seventy-five minute version of one of the heavy metal shorts, <laughs> yes. and it does both rock and rule. Mm. Uh, I mean, that maybe deserves its own episode sometime. Yeah. Um, so they go ahead and uh, make it, to my knowledge, a fairly untroubled production. Uh, two of the super, you know, it was, like, shopped out to a lot of different studios, so every segment is technically a different. Yeah. Which, I think, is it was one reason it got done fast and got done cheap, while still looking good. I think that's how Robot Carnival was also done. I think so, too. Where, and I mean, Robot Carnival is just the most, like, insanely lavish, like, uh, purely on a technical level, one of the most beautiful-looking movies yeah. you'll ever see. So gorgeous. Because it's actually just nine movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you let Katsuhiro Otomo direct five minutes of a movie, he'll give you, like, the the robot carnival bumper. If you have him direct an entire movie, it will take him 20 years, and it will be Steam Boy, where it'll <laughs> look great and suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they make uh, heavy metal, and one thing that uh, caught my eye is that two of the supervising directors were essentially the two... Uh, guys that were in charge of making Yellow Submarine happen, hmm. which another one of my like all time favorites. I I think Yellow Submarine is just such like a perfect little yeah a bit of like art and culture. It's such a
0: neat little movie.
1: Yeah, like like not even just like oh it's it's like as a Beatles fan, which I'm like at a stinks, yeah. you know, mm. uh, or like as, as like an animation historian, I'm like. It's just, like, an awesome thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Which, but maybe, like, a non-replicable success.
0: A bit of a weird trivia. Yeah. Um, Rufus Sewell's dad was the animation director for the Lucy and the Sky of Diamond segment. Huh. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know
1: that. So, it was, so the song is based on a drawing John Lennon's son did. Yeah. And then Rufus Sewell, like an infant Rufus Sewell, went up to his dad and said, Papa, will you do a short animated video about my new, my favorite band's new single? His dad went, Well, you were right about the White Album. (laughs) I don't know if that had come out at that point. I think it was later. Also, I don't think he's me. Yeah. Rufus Sewell's not cockney? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's isn't that the role where there's any British actor who can just play like fops and dandies and, you know, Sir Thomas Mann and everything? Mm-hmm. Whenever they actually sit down to interview the person playing King Lear or whatever. Like, so, was this a challenging film for you? Yeah, right, right, yeah, like, uh... No, I, I never heard of this leergazer, so I, I really had to get into character.
0: It's <laughs> like when Christian Bale was giving Ben Affleck advice on Batman. He said, "Oi, make sure you can piss in that thing. <laughs> this one is going to Christian Bale. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, so anyways, uh, the enough about Rufus Sewell. <laughs> it's something I'll never say. So they, uh, they end up making the movie, and it ends up being successful, like just reasonably successful at the time. Obviously, it becomes a midnight movie staple. Uh, throughout most of the 80s and 90s, it is unavailable because of music rights. It turns mm-hmm. out there are a couple of songs in yeah. Heavy Metal, uh, which it was trouble wrangling all those licenses, so it became a movie that's... Your options to see it were either to live in a city where they would just show like heavy metals on, like a double bill with, hey, good looking, or something. Yeah. Uh, like actual theaters that could do that. Or the alternative was uh, if you were like me, you had to A, be alive in the 90s, and B, check your local listings for the once uh, per year showing yeah.
0: on TBS or TNT. Yeah, I remember that. I remember doing that with rock and roll, uh, twice upon a time. So many of these movies. Yeah, which I mean, some of which I still don't think are freely available.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it, it
1: was just like back in the day, you just have to keep your eye out. Oh, hey, like heavy metal is playing at one oh five a.m. on one of the Turner stations. Yeah, uh, with all the nudity taken out, which. <laughs> Like, uh, fun, funny enough, at the time, I've obviously grown to appreciate that part of the movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But at the time, I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't care about boobs. I care about the giant glowing ball of evil. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a cineast here. <laughs> I'm the film gourmand. I know what I want out of the movie. Um, dude, so we don't have to endlessly prolong this, but should we go through it segment by segment? yeah yeah all right well we start off uh the preamble is a soft landing the mostly i think rotoscoped judging from the look of it yeah yeah written by the great uh, dan o'bannon oh, dark cool. star and alien yeah uh it is the extremely short segment of a corvette uh doing a uh safe crash landing onto the surface of the earth <laughs> um doesn't make any sense on a physical or narrative level. But uh, at the same time, it shows you exactly what the movie is going to be about. Yeah. And exactly what Dan, Dan O'Bannon is about. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. See, uh, talented uh, losers who people uh, shouldn't like are all about throwing cars into space. Talentless losers, I mean. Cool people are all about making those... Uh, Those cars come back to Earth. Uh, I botched my slam there. It's like I accidentally suplexed myself on that (laughs) one. Okay, the next segment uh, following directly on from that, uh, Grimaldi. Uh, The astronaut in the first segment is named Grimaldi. We know this because we get a shot of his uh, mailbox Mm -hmm. as he drives up to his seemingly fairly isolated house. (laughs) Um, apparently that was just a reference to, there were, like, two guys that worked on the production who were the Grimaldi brothers. Mm. I assume they handled, like, the plumbing and wiring on the film. <laughs> it's the Grimaldi hey, brothers. God, God, damn Grimaldi. You <laughs> beat us here again.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, because you, you called two different plumbing companies and they have to race to your house.
1: That's how I do it. Uh, that is one of my... Favorite lines from the Mario ref, my all-time favorite being, "Mommy, why is Mario wearing talkers?" <laughs> I don't know, honey. Uh, so yes, we have uh, we have the the astronaut Grimaldi comes to the house uh, in his work clothes, and then uh, his uh, adorable little daughter runs up and says, "What do you bring me?" And he says, "I have a present for you." He then opens a steel suitcase. From which a glowing green ball emerges and immediately melts him. Which, uh, as far as, like, uh, like, motifs throughout this movie. Yeah. The glowing green ball showing up and then immediately melting mm-hmm. somebody uh, seems to be a, a popular through line in yeah. this film. Uh, it doesn't melt everybody it comes into contact with. But you think it melts enough people that you think word would get around. Mm-hmm. It's like It's like have gloves or something yeah um, so he immediately gets melted and we have the appearance of what the the floating what Lochnar yeah it's, I' was just trying to involve you <laughs> it's the Lochnar yeah yeah um, by the way the name Lochnar is uh, a made up yeah. B, I think it the name originates from uh, the the Den stories. Mm. Uh, and they just decided, oh, we got to call it something. Yeah. Like, we're going to steal it from one of the stories. It might as well be that one. Uh, incidentally, the Loch Nahr is voiced, I looked it up, it's uncredited Percy Rodriguez, the Afro-Portuguese Canadian actor. Uh, mm-hmm. He is the movie trailer guy from the 80s. Cool. So yeah, that's awesome. I mean, obviously, if you watch the, uh, if you watch heavy metal, they they uh, add some, uh, not reverb, but they do like treat the voice a little bit. Mm-hmm. They give it some after effects. A- amazing voice though. Yeah, uh, he was the guy who just just sounded like that. You know, sort of, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water. Mm-hmm. Most of that shit throughout the '80s uh, was him. He's the narrator for uh, Captain EO, so he he just had that perfect old school movie guy voice. Yeah, which I know other people, have done Don LaFontaine, famously, mm-hmm. and then uh, what is it, Miguel Ferrer? Not not uh, not Miguel Fruer, <laughs> but the the one uh, character actor who has like the that perfect movie guy voice mm-hmm. these days. Um so he was that dude back in the day. He immediately emerges, declares himself the sum of all evils. The Lochnar is just this primordial glowing orb that ruins things. Yeah. Uh what do you think of the Lochnar as a plot device?
0: I love the Lochnar. I think it out one rings the one ring. That's um, how much I like it. <laughs> I, I now I'm enough of a Tolkien
1: guy. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but it's it is a very cool plot device to tie it all together. Um, I read somewhere that an early idea is that there was going to be a haunted carousel, and like each animal would like lead you into one of the stories, mm-hmm. which would actually probably be kind of cool. But yeah, that sounds like they're overthinking it. Mm-hmm. so like the the young guy the new hire in the back of the room was like what if there's like a ball that's just in all the stories and they're like huh, those are easy to draw <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, um and it kind of shows how this movie can can hit in different ways over the years mm-hmm. i realize now that just having like a floating schmengi like, like just a plot device Yeah. They can just come out a little MacGuffin that can float out and say, like, I am the sum of all evils. Yeah. Um, I feel like that is a pretty easy statement to write. Just to have a thing come out and go, hi, I'm all the evil in the universe. When I watched this as a little kid, though, that, that like, lit my imagination up.
0: Mm -hmm. Because I
1: watched and I went, like, that thing is the sum of all evil. Let's let's not glance past <laughs> yeah. it. Like that floating ball caused the Holocaust. Like, this is bad news. And now I'm <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Maybe the Lochnar is not rendered with all the shading of like Iago or the head priest from the Crucible yeah. or Frank from Blue Velvet. Like there may be better villains. <laughs> yeah. But at the time I had such a little kid thing of like, well, it's the most evil thing. In fiction, so therefore, it's the best villain in fiction. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's entirely a a quantity game. (laughs) Uh, And from there, it proceeds to uh, threaten the girl and then tell her the plot of the 1981 hit movie Heavy Metal. (laughs) Yeah. So it essentially just tells you all about uh, its various loosely connected evil enterprises. Mm -hmm. Our first. Let's call it our first real feature story
0: yeah. is uh, Harry Canyon. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what do you think of this one? He's the uh, cabin, right? Yes. Yeah, it's... Uh, I like it because he's... He's uh, a protagonist who's very unclean and schlubby and... Not especially fit or anything. Not especially fit or good looking. And I like... I kind of like characters like that like not Mitchell per se but like that area of hero yeah you like Jodon Baker I get what you're saying and I love his little button that vaporizes uh yeah people in the back of his car
1: it's a it's a wonderful little thing he has a pedal in the front of his car where he can just zap you and you become uh nothing really like I yeah think he, Maybe Ash, if even that. Yeah. So yeah, he's... He takes people out. He's voiced by uh, Richard uh, Romanus, who... um, st- Not not an especially famous actor, but he does have a good voice. And back in the day, he was kind of the go-to for a lot of these uh, adult animated things. Mm-hmm. He worked with Bakshi several time. he's, times. He's the elf from uh, Wizards. Um, he... Has been in. He's been like in grown-up movies where he got to be on camera, like Mean Streets, (laughs) and it was. uh, He's good. He. It's like that era of like, if things had gone a different way, maybe he would be Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Like it's. I'm not like racing them or comparing talent. Just some people become the Godfather, and some people have like a season arc on The Sopranos, and that's also awesome. And some people voice cartoons, and that's also us. Awesome. Yeah, um, it's
0: like it's like how two different actors and two different lines of work can be buddies, like how uh, John Agar and Rock Hudson were good friends, even though Hudson was in these big, huge movies and Agar was in these B pictures. Yeah, and so it is a. Uh,
1: very swiftly unfolding story about uh, just just classic film noir mm-hmm. where he's a down on his luck cabbie who likes to self narrate that he rescues a dame mm-hmm. and a fat guy's after her and there's gonna be like a switcheroo and they're gonna get some money. Uh, she's yeah the Loch Ness has been unearthed and it immediately immediately melts the medial worker who pulls it out of the earth. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, who's quite a scream, by the way. Yeah. Not just, not just like a canned scream, like, like a nauseating scream when this thing, you know, this guy goes down. It's then being shown at a uh, museum. Yeah, it's then robbed. I think, I think it's that the girl makes off with it. Uh, and then the, these gangsters are after her. So it's all pretty boilerplate. Uh, the hook here is that it's told in future New York. Mm-hmm. Where it's like half flooded and there's hover cabs and everything's yeah. very science fictional. Um, the original piece it's based on The Long Tomorrow was an aesthetic influence on everything, like Alien, Blade Runner, like Awesome. Again, it you cannot trace the full genealogy of people who like stole, not stole, but homage Mobius' yeah. art. So it's like okay, Eon Flux. All anime, every French comic, every Hodorowski film, yeah. I'm like, I, uh, what do you think of this one? I mean,
0: a pretty, pretty good. Or anything you'd mm-hmm. change about it? Pretty good. Yeah. Like I said, I, I dig the hero, and yeah. I like the noir angle. <laughs> I do like
1: uh, one of my favorites. Maybe it's either bad or intentionally bad, but. Of course, uh, the girl and Harry end up spending the night together, mm. and he has to narrate it. And he, yeah. he goes into, like, patriotic metaphors. But it's a thing where, like, if he did it twice, you would get the joke, but it's just nonstop. Mm. So it's just like, I smacked her ass till it was red, white, and blue. She gave me a, the 21-gun salute. But oh boy, it was Custard's last stand when I saw her get those things out of the the fucking Lusitania. What can I tell you? (laughs) Oh, but uh, yeah, then uh, the war eighteen twelve was all over my bed sheets when I woke up. (laughs) The (laughs) old spirit of Saint Louis. (laughs) Yeah, hey, the British should come and guess who else is? (laughs) Oh yeah, guess what? That Liberty Bell like the only thing with the crack in it. Oh. I don't know where this guy's from anymore. Uh, so, yeah, so it's just like the two of them going down having cartoon sex and you hear Richard Ramirez going, hickory dickory and then a hand reaches over the animation cell and stubs out a cigarette on it. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's the only uh, live action shot in the movie. It's yeah, a very, very weird touch. <laughs> Uh, so then, uh, he wakes up, he puts on his weightlifter's gloves, <laughs> uh, besides that, it's, uh, ludicrously well-animated. Oh, yeah. Like, a level of detail. Freakishly
0: well-animated.
1: Like, not, not in terms of, like, the smoothness or the opulence even, but it has a level of detail that animation should not have. Yeah. Like, don't put all those fucking lines on there, you know? People have to draw that sheet. <laughs> Um, case in point, I think the character is named Rudnick. He's the kind of stock-heavy character who uh, menaces Harry and wants to get either the girl or the Loch or both. Uh, wow. Real, real ugly character. Mm-hmm. Like a real blancmange of a human being. <laughs> yeah. like I get what they were going for where he's, he's like fat and bald and off-putting, but like, Dick Tracy ugly. Hmm. Like, Baron Conan looked at this guy and went, like, you're not leaving the house looking like that, are you? <laughs> um, so eventually they, with a, a surprisingly straightforward denouement, they just go, fuck it, let's take the money. They give Rudnick the Loch Nahr, They write off of the money. Rudnick opens the case with the Loch Nahr, and you're, you're never going to believe what happens. He melts? He immediately melts. <laughs> He apparently did not uh, know that this was uh, a 100% outcome when you open Loch boxes. And then we get uh, the girl tries to take all the money from Harry, so he disintegrates her with his backseat zapper. Mm-hmm. And we get a very, very film war ish ending. He says, uh, anyways, uh, I kept on driving and left the meter running.
0: The way I looked
1: at it, it was just a two-day fare with a hell of a tip yeah this is you, you know it, it's it's like uh you remember they once said uh when they would do like ben Ground the thing yeah in like what the and mm-hmm. all the parody magazines and there was the the one footnote that says we found that it's impossible to write parody dialogue of the thing that doesn't just sound like the thing <laughs> yeah that's how i feel about film work Yeah. Like, it is, it lends itself to parody because it's already parody. Mm -hmm. The line between actual Dashiell Hammond narration and that Phil Hartman character who's like, she had legs like coconut trees, and I wanted to be the island boy that shittied on up (laughs) the. Like, that's like 3% sillier than (laughs) actual dialogue from (laughs) The Lady (laughs) in the Lake or whatever. (laughs) Um,. Okay, so that that's our first segment. Um obviously inspirational, it was uh the jumping off point for the uh the fifth element. Hmm. Literally, because she lands in this cave. Uh so yeah, very, very influential. Um I don't I don't think I would want to see like Harry Canyon the movie. Yeah. This is one where I, I wish it had been a little bit longer. Hmm. Uh, and the same way we'll get to it but the the final story in the film is clearly like the main event Mm. it's by far the longest I feel like you could have done a Harry Canyon that was like maybe like 25 minutes like as long as like an episode of a a show Mm. Uh, because as it is it really is like okay this happens and this happens like it's very much like the wiki entry for itself yeah. So uh if, I I enjoyed it a lot. If there's one weakness, it's like yeah, they this movie has has like a bus to catch. Mm-hmm. So oh by the way, is I just realized this uh, saying it now is Harry Canyon meant to be like a filthy double entendre name probably. Yeah. It's I loved on uh the James Bond uh a podcast James yeah. Bonding yeah. that, that uh, Gorley hosts they talk about Bond's on again off again girlfriend in the beginning of the series uh, Sylvia Trench <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and they say it, so she's like the only Bond girl without like a like a dirty pun name and they go or is that secretly the filthiest name in the series Sylvia Trench because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never heard it called that but that would be like the the most disgusting possible <laughs> euphemism, yes. right? So I'm like, huh, Harry, Harry Canyon. <laughs> uh, okay, then we move on to. We've had like th- this one is more sci-fi. Our next one's going to be more fantasy. Uh, I know you probably want to talk about this one. Let's talk about Dan. Dan, yeah, yeah.
0: Dan is a little kid, who, not too little, not but too go little. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he is transported into another world, where he is also transported into another body. Mm-hmm. A very muscular, bald guy with his dork out. Yeah. And he he comments on his dork being out, and he quickly covers up his dork. Yeah. And apparently one of...
1: I've not read any of them, actually, but apparently one of the things in the, uh, the comic series is that it has total full frontal nudity. Mm -hmm. Like, there is no taboo against nudity, so when Richard Corbin draws the Den comics, just, I've already seen everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, where it's not even meant to be, like, horned up or anything, it's just, yeah, there's Den looking like the, you know, the display case at a sausage uh, shop. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's by uh, Richard Corbin, who, do you have any strong opinions on
0: Richard Corbin? What has he done, Dan? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and Hellboy and some other stuff. Hellboy, I like Hellboy. Yeah, I like Dan.
1: Yeah, Corbin is a weird one because he is able to do things with texturing and shading that are phenomenal. What like when when it comes to like contours and things. Mm-hmm. Um, his ability to illustrate lighting effects is, is essentially photorealistic. Mm-hmm. It's incredible uh his sense of proportion is insane though. Yeah. And I don't I don't just mean obviously it's like okay Dan's built and all the women have like you know j cup boobs or whatever. Mm-hmm. That that's obviously what well, that's a reference to. It's not even that like everyone's top heavy not in the the breasty sense of the word but in the sense that they just get bigger and bigger. Yeah. All of his characters and everything that he's ever done. Mm. Every human he draws, their head is too big. Yeah. I guess because like he wants to leave room to draw the faces, which is fine, but then you go back and make the body more. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it almost looks like Kevin O'Neill's Mr. Hyde. Yes, uh, so I I don't know what to say. Like, Corbin is a deservedly legendary artist, uh, but at the same time, every character he draws looks like the Mardi Gras version of themselves. Uh, So that aside, the the animation in this short is fine, but not extraordinary, Mm -hmm. I would say. Uh, Like, you know, it's theatrical quality, but it it doesn't look better than, like a Bakshi film of the time or anything. Yeah. Which is maybe good, because that way it doesn't replicate, it doesn't look as good, but also doesn't look as weird as Richard Corbin. Art. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, excuse me. So Corbin uh, tells the story of Dan, who is voiced by whom?
0: John Candy.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you think of John Candy's vocal performance here? Uh,
0: just pure joy. Hearing John Candy at all makes you smile.
1: Yeah, John, and again, it's like a, a gone too soon thing, where it's so it's like sad that Farley died. I think he was even younger than Candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sad that Farley died, but Farley was like a haunted young man. Yeah, <laughs> like when it was like, oh, he like crashed into a wall from doing too many drugs. Like his obsession with just being the reincarnated Jim Belushi. Reached its natural endpoint. Like, yeah, it's it's a bummer, but but not maybe not everyone was shocked when it happened. Candy, it was just the weight. Yeah. So when Candy died, it wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna do speedballs because they helped me slim down. Like, mm-hmm. like, it's like, oh, that's that's a shame, and he probably died because they wouldn't let him have his contract for Wagons East. Yeah. So that's the movie that cost us John Candy. Um so, yeah, not not to focus on the morbid, though, because watching stuff like this or any of his old stuff is like, oh, John Candy was just awesome. Just absolute yeah. pure delight every time he was on the screen. The biggest piece of shit movie is, like, nothing but trouble. I mean, well, you know,
0: Candy's fun in it. <laughs> yeah, I watched Spaceballs with my friend a few weeks ago. Yeah. It... It's, he's still so funny. Yeah,
1: which, again, playing a dogman named Barf in a movie, which is, you know, not the greatest thing <laughs> ever made. Uh, but you're like, oh, boy, look at John Candy. He's having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he's a blast. Though, okay, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, right? Which is yeah. usually, like, the, the, the go-to, like, the er, John Candy movie. Yeah. Um... I would submit that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is not even any great shakes as a movie. That it's just another kind of boring-ass boomer movie from a weird Republican creep. Uh, (laughs) What's-his-face? Who's that director? John Hughes. Yeah, Yeah, John Hughes. Yeah, don't. Never got John Hughes. Don't care. Don't see what the big deal is. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles these days is remembered as his masterpiece because, A, nobody gets raped, if I recall. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like, top 3% for one of his movies. And, B, John Candy's in it. Yeah. And when I remember the movie, it's like, no, I don't don't think I like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because, like, Steve Martin falls down or, like, somebody steps on his balls or something. I think I remember it because of all the John Candy scenes. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Lending it humor and humanity, which I don't think John Hughes himself was really able to imbue in most of these movies. <laughs> so, yeah, John Handy is John Handy. <laughs> no, uh, but John is awesome in general. I don't, until this viewing, I don't think I appreciated that he just walks away with this movie. Yeah. I don't mean Dan, I mean the film. It's <laughs> like the whole thing. Yeah. Um,. So Dead is a fairly fairly straightforward but pretty cool fantasy barbarian thing. It's mm-hmm. it just like R-rated Masters of the Universe cartoon.
0: Yeah. Which I think was out the same year, actually. And the idea is vaguely Shazam.
1: Yeah, that's right. The like skinny punk becomes, you know, the hero of the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right about that, but what what elevates it is that premise where it's a pretty straightforward adventure, but you have Den's narration. We're like, ah, like I I can't believe this guy. Like my guide was pretty uh, smart for a gorilla. Who's this knucklehead? Like when he meets the you know the foppish evil prince. Yeah, Alric. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, like Elric with pigmentation. Uh, so. That, so, it's like, okay, like, a fun setting, and then it's elevated by that extra layer of irony. So, mm-hmm. it can, like, comment on the action without spoiling it. What puts it into, like, S tier, though, is that it's Candy doing it. Yeah. And he does so good. He, on the rare occasions, Dent speaks. He does, like, the, huh, strong. He mm-hmm. would just, I'm sure that was, like, a voice he probably had on SCTV. Yeah. Just, like, a He-Man sort of guy. Uh, but then the dead narration, where it's just, oh, I found, like, this big, long rock in my backyard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, of course, he does have the line of the movie, (laughs) which is when he appears, unlike the dead comics, people are half-nude instead of totally nude. (laughs) So he does have a loincloth. As soon as he appears, he grabs a banner off, like, a pole and, like, gives himself a a little, uh, Sparan, a little tartan. And he goes... I wasn't gonna walk around here with my dork hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> like, he is so unbelievably charming. Yes. Like the in both modes, but obviously like the real Dan inside. Mm-hmm. And it's it is a weirdly sweet ending. Like they his kind of personality-free girlfriend almost gets sacrificed to Cthulhu. And then he saves her and she says, like, but then yeah, that might have been your only chance to return home. And he goes, Who cares about home? Back home, I'm nobody. Here, I'm Dan. Yeah. And you're like, this is like you're gonna it's end the movie awesome. there. Like this. This is like such a like a likable character and such mm-hmm. a great performance. Uh, and then it's it's just fun along the way. Again, the the foppish prince. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who is apparently immortal. They shoot him a bunch of times, and he just heals. Mm-hmm. He's like, I see why they put this guy in charge. <laughs> um Now, let, let's pause for just a moment. The character's named, like, Arg or something. Yeah, It's just such a nothing name. Uh, there's a history of villains being queer-coded. Yes. I don't think there's anything coded about this yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. This is the... Uh, uh, Obviously, like, I'm not saying this derisively about the character, but, like, this is a dandy character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But having said that, I I forget who voices him, but whoever plays, like, the the foppish prince is clearly having a good time. Mm -hmm. He's just like, uh, execute them, so sweetie. And he has one of my favorite clearly goofy line readings Mm -hmm. uh, in the movie, because... I love when it's so clearly just like the voice actor was goofing around. So there's there's a scene in Futurama when Clamps, the mafia robot. Yeah. When he's crushing Zoidberg's head and Billy West goes like, Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> and like he throws that in at the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, man. Same thing at the end. The foppish prince and his evil sister like fighting for the Loch Lochnar. So, it's my Lochnar. Yeah, it's like, give me it. No, give me it it's it's my Lochnar. Yeah. It's like that was so clearly like his choice to do like gay thirst and howl. <laughs> it's my Lochnar. Yeah. And this doesn't this feels like a movie where like they didn't worry about second takes or anything. So mm. if anybody caught that, I don't think they made him take it out. That's that kind of ruins the reality of the scene a little bit, but who cares? Um, So Den is extremely fun, and then we get to, I would say another one of the uh, the better features, uh, Captain Stern. Yes, which is taken almost line for line and shot for shot. And this isn't like inspired by the Den stories. This is just the first Captain Stern.
0: Yeah, Comment. I think I honestly think that when they created Sat Brannigan, they were trying to make a toned down Captain Stern.
1: Yeah, and so Stern himself, uh, created by uh Bernie Wrightson, which is funny because Wrightson's style lends itself more to like famously, he did that incredible Frankenstein mm-hmm. uh, illustrated edition. Um, you have the very Branigan esque, square jawed, James Garner looking. Captain Lincoln F. Stern, who uh, is, the the joke everyone remembers is he's in court and they just read off his list of crimes, yeah. which they go ahead and put on the wiki. 12 counts of murder in the first degree, 14 counts of armed theft of Federation property, 22 counts of piracy in high space, 18 counts of fraud, 37 counts of rape, and one moving violation. Which it's all that, it's just a build up to the joke. Yeah. You know, like, and it's like, you just murdered the president, and by the way, your car is double parked. Yeah. Which probably not the first time anyone made that joke, but it is <laughs> funny. Yeah. 37 counts of rape. That's, so that's what's great about Stern is that because it is just like a joke, it's like a one off character, yeah. the whole thing is just like a setup and punchline. Mm -hmm. Uh, this segment there's no reason not to make stern comically despicable yeah uh which is what makes him stand out really so stern is among the most evil characters in fiction yeah (laughs) just based on his uh his rap sheet here um then weirdly enough uh, because stern was I i think the the comic was well-received, like the original short, and because the movie was popular, there was enough gas where they have brought back Stern for the occasional like, mini-series. That's cool. Yeah, and I think the problem there is that they do kind of make him the protagonist, so it's like an ixnay on the rape and grave robbing and everything from the original story. Mm. <laughs> He's, they they kind of glance past his, his history in those, I think. Uh, so what happens in the the
0: Captain Sturge short? <laughs> well, he only has one guy who can defend him, and that's a janitor who ends up finding the Lochnar, kind mm-hmm. of fiddling around with it in his hands, and he is defending the, him on trial. But he keeps he's, as like a character witness. Yeah, as a character witness, but he keeps like blurting out other shit that he's done, and then he kind of absorbs some of the Lochnar power and basically becomes. The warden from Story of Ricky just Yeah. Hulks holds out, out hulks out. Yeah. And that but I mean what's the what's
1: the punchline? Cause then we get a chase scene, finally uh the janitor head over fist, he tracks him down to like a dead end, and then how does it play out? Uh doesn't he open the airlock? Well yeah, but the it the whole thing is like both the, the strip and the cartoon end with like he finally has Stern cornered and he goes, like, all right, you've had this coming. 35, 34, like he, like, <laughs> pulls out his wallet and, like, yeah. pays him off. And, uh, this is, and this is the funny thing, because apparently, I, I haven't read any Captain Stern stuff besides what this is based on. Mm-hmm. Apparently Hanover is, like, part of his stable of characters. Hmm. His kind of, you know, little DR and Quench group of yeah. crazy characters. And it's my understanding that in the comics, uh, Hanover can just hulk out. Oh, cool. Like, that's that's the joke. That he's, like, skinny and meek, and then he becomes, like, a muscle-bound freak. Mm. Um, whereas in the movie, yeah, it, it's clearly shown to be, like, this is something the Lochnar did to him. Yeah. Uh, so the comic ends with, like, punchline, just, like, rim shots. So it's just, like... It's like there you go, Hanover. Thanks. Ah, it weren't nothing. And then it says, "End." Yeah. So the short and the uh the movie ends the same way, and he like shrinks down and goes, "Ah, it's nothing, boss." Then because they need to do like a Mister Show style segment, yeah. they have this wonderfully grim moment where Stern goes, "Oh, by the way, Hanover, goodbye," and he opens a trap door under him and sends him out into space, mm-hmm. where he just gruesomely incinerates and burns on yeah.
0: every re-entry. Just every incineration in this movie is a nightmare <laughs> fuel.
1: And I, I just find that so interesting
0: where it's
1: like this is the only movie that Hanover Fist has ever been in or I would guess likely will ever be in. Yeah. So they go ahead and throw in oh yeah and he's also brutally murdered at the end of it. <laughs> I wonder if there's like of the two or three like Captain Stern purists like, oh man, they killed Hanover. <laughs> uh, so then his hand is like the only part of him that's not burnt and destroyed in the atmosphere. Yeah. Plummets down to earth. There was here we get a segment that was then cut from the movie. I remember that. Yeah, Neverwhere Land, which is it shows the Lochnar like causing the rise and fall of civilizations and. The dinosaurs turning on each other, and industrialization, and everything.
0: Jack the Ripper gets a hold of it. <clears throat> yeah, that's that is a
1: cool touch there. Mm. Um,
0: do you think
1: it's uh, it should have stayed in the movie, or do you think it was better to cut it? In your opinion,
0: I think it should have stayed. I think it should have stayed. All
1: right. See, I'm I, I, I am willing to physically fight you on this point. <laughs> No, um, I do like the piece and I'm sure if I worked on it I would be bummed to hear that it got cut from the movie. Mm-hmm. I do think of everything that you could cut from the movie it is the one to cut because it's more of like a mood piece and like an yeah. experimental piece rather than you know like Harry Canyon's a thriller uh, Dan is a thriller and a comedy the last one's a comedy like It it doesn't actually have anything besides that kind of like mysticism and like epic quality. The truth is, to me, it feels it it's quite good. Mm -hmm. It feels a little bit too fantasia.
0: Yeah, I can I can Mm -hmm. see
1: that. Yeah, you see what I mean? Where like I'm almost like I'm almost glad they made it, and you can watch it on YouTube and on the DVD. Yeah, it's something where I'm happy it's out there in the world. I think maybe this is the rare case where maybe this was the right call to cut it out of the movie because uh, instead they just clip it so the hand goes into the, the next segment, which is the, the gremlin segment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the movie is exactly as long as it should be.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, and I was, I was going to mention that sooner or later as we were going through the segments, but I th- I think Heavy Metal clock's in it like about 85 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, why, one, two, three, four, five, six stories, not counting the framing device. Yeah. With the last one being the longest. I'm like, that is exactly as long as it should be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like no one of the segments overstays its welcome. Yeah. So it's, it's the rare case of an anthology movie where I never want to skip any of it. Mm-hmm. So that's my thought, but uh, from there, instead of Neverwhere Land, we go straight to the next segment, which is B-17.
0: You remember this one? Yeah, it's the one with uh, the aliens that pick up the HOD. No, it's not. Oh, it's not? No, it's the B-17 bomber. Oh. Yeah.
1: Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want to... I mean, I feel like I'm. I don't want to uh, just do all the talking. I always feel bad when I hog the episode.
0: Well, is that the one with the gremlin?
1: Yeah, like gremlins, so to speak. They're really just zombies.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's really neat. the The animation actually reminds me of uh, a bit of. There's a segment in an old Warner Brothers animated movie about peace called Peace on Earth where it shows, like, the troops walking through the damp, no man's land. And that kind of reminded me of this. Like, I saw the parallels in this. There's, uh... From what I remember, not very much dialogue. Not or, especially, no. Not very much. And, uh... It's essentially like, don't they find these things in the, inside the... Yeah, the
1: Loch Noir lands and it starts to uh, rejuvenate corpses. Mm-hmm. Or not rejuvenate, but, yeah, they're still corpses when they come back to life as horrible, presumably man-eating skeletons. Yeah. Uh, so, a ton of people are dying on board these uh, bomber planes. And mm-hmm. then as soon as they do, they come back to life. And you have the pilots going, like, what's going on back there? You go check. And, like, slowly but surely they're grizzled, murdered in a horrible fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably the best scene, uh, the little, like, bubble gun at the bottom of the plane. Yeah. Like, the same thing the Millennium Falcon has. Mm -hmm. There is a scene where you see somebody being slaughtered inside of one of those. And he's, like, thrashed around. And, like, you don't actually see much of the details but just every now and again, like, he'll slap up against the glass and, like, more and more blood starts to cloud yeah. in the area. So finally they catch up. They get into the cockpit. The pilot realizes it's totally overrun with these walking dead. He manages to parachute out and then land on a little desert island, which is like an elephant's graveyard for downed planes. Mm. I'm guessing it's like the Pacific or something. At which point a bunch of other rotoscope zombies start crawling out of the framework and the swamp, and ends with them closing in on him with nowhere to run. Yeah, so this is maybe the, in narrative terms, this is the simplest of all the segments. Mm. Uh, might be the shortest uh, if it doesn't, if it isn't literally, it feels the shortest. Yeah, um, it's kind of perfect though. Like, yeah. Like, it doesn't need to be any longer. It doesn't need to be any shorter. It's it's just like an eight-page EC comic strip. Yeah. Just like, hey, wouldn't, wouldn't that be fucked up? Bet you're glad you're not him. Anyways, moving yeah. on. Yeah. Like, oh, boy, uh, this this guy, uh, I'll put it plainly, uh, this guy, no man is an island, but this guy wishes he wasn't on one. <laughs> so anyways, got to get back to cleaning up the mausoleum. <laughs> Hi, uh, it's it's me, the old witch, and my friend uh, the the crypt keeper and the third one, vault keeper. Vault keeper. There's a wait. There's a vault keeper too. Yeah, that feels like they ran out of ideas. I think so. I do remember when uh, uh, <laughs> a friend of ours did uh, their version of crypt keeper mausoleum cleanup guy. That's really no worse than vault keeper. Yeah, vault yeah. keeper has to be the uh, like I'm gonna look into this, but if If it's Vault Keeper, that's such a Luigi move. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So from there we get to, I think, the one that you were eager to talk
0: about. So beautiful and so dangerous. Yeah, it's... uh, The Earth is essentially ending. And uh, these aliens uh, fly by and pick up this... She's the Secretary of State, like
1: super hot. Yeah, it was uh, no. The Secretary of State is a higher position. She, I think, she's a secretary to the state, oh. not to be confused with the actual capital S,
0: capital S Secretary of State. But she's like drawn like in the very much like hot for teacher type way. Yeah, and uh, um,
1: and it's they there's like a scientist presenting at the Pentagon, and it turns out that it's. Just like an android that they're coming to pick up because he's malfunctioning. One of the things that he does when he malfunctions is that he, that he gets super horny. So when they suck yeah. him up into the spaceship, they suck her up too because he was trying to. I'm not, not not trying to be gross. Basically, trying to rape her. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a, That's not really like the tone of the piece, and it doesn't go that far. But you do have to go. Well, what was the end game there? Yeah. <laughs> like it was. It was just like an Aruse at Sarah. Like. Lupin jumping into bed, like, uh, I mean, nothing actually happens, but there was certainly a tone being set.
0: Mm-hmm. <coughs> anyway, she anyways. gets captured by a bunch of uh, Seth Rogen-like aliens. Yes. <laughs> very, very mellow. They uh, just do drugs and hang out and listen to music. and Voiced by Eugene Levy and Harold Ramis. Yeah, they cruise around in space. And they have these long snouts that they use to vacuum up these huge lines of coke. Yeah, it's
1: and it's like Plutonium Niborg or something. Yeah. But it's essentially like a Zamboni trail of coke <laughs> yeah. that they leave around. Um, and then while this is happening, the uh, robot on the ship, who's kind of a cute mouse-eared little glupus, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it uh, convinces... Like, they're going to drop the girl back off on Earth. It's like, uh oh, no, the, the ship's broken. He's doing, like, the hand across the throat. Like, yeah. back me up here. He's like, yeah. uh, sorry, sorry, we can't drop you off. Turns out you'll have to go with us. <laughs> then he proceeds to seduce her. We, we don't actually see explicit sex, but there's jokes about, like, because he's a robot. He's essentially, like, a yeah. sentient vibrator. So mm-hmm. she's like, oh, I never had it that good. And then it just keeps... It's, like, just a stupid five-minute thing of, like, yes. every time you cut back to them, it's, like, all right, all right, I'll marry you, <laughs> but you're going to have to convert. <laughs> I have to have a Jewish wedding, and the yeah, robot's, like, what? Oh, like, Also, the robot is, again, voiced by John Candy, <laughs> with not quite the den voice. I think, it, I think it's just, like, straightforward Candy, but uh, mm. turns out that's also fun. <laughs> yeah. So he has probably the second, the first and second best. Performances of the film. (laughs) The robot is extremely charming. It's just like a typewriter with like two satellite ears. Yeah, it looks like something from the Satellite of Love. It does. It looks very MST Futurama style. It's very cute. It has John Candy's voice. Uh, and so, (laughs) do you remember how this segment ends? I don't exactly remember. Exactly. Because it doesn't quite end. It just sort of stops. Yeah. They pick her up. The robot seduces her. The aliens do all the coke. We get some gorgeously detailed, not really animated, but just like shots of a beautifully painted space station, which... Yeah. And it's all about scale, so like the alien spaceship that they're flying is clearly, like, five times the size of the Pentagon. Yeah. And this thing is, like, 10,000 times the size of the ship. Yeah. So, again, we're into, like, what if a Gorg met a doozer? Like, would you even be able to picture it? Uh, they go, like, Oh, man, I land better when I'm high. And then they crash the ship against, like, the corner. And it has, like, a real bouncy landing, but they get in safely. Mm-hmm. And then it stops. Yeah. <laughs> uh... So what do we make of this short? <laughs> um Goofy, stupid, and fun. This does feel the most national lampoon out of yeah. all of them. Which uh, does not necessarily work against it. I I like that there's that heavy metal has like the totally sincere segments, the totally stupid segments, and then the ones in the middle. It's like exactly two of each, so it yeah. all balances. Um I have heard a lot of people say that this is maybe their least favorite part of the movie, that it's the one with the least redeeming artistic yeah. or narrative value to it. Uh, it is certainly the one that feels like, did was that like a real missing? Thing? <laughs> yeah. And one, one thing that's great about the Lochnar telling the story throughout the film, it's like, I will show you all of the great evils that I have wrought upon the earth. And so it tells the story of Harry Canyon. It's like, did you see how I melted that guy? Yeah. And a couple of the stories are like, wow, like Captain Stern, that was really a story about like evil and evil getting its come-up ends, or, or like evil dominating and like yeah. treachery ruling the day. But then it'll tell stories like Den, which has like the yeah. hero wins and it's a happy ending. Yeah. And so you come back to the Lochnar, it's like, not all who face me die. Like, well, Lochnar, sweetie, I mean, you've been around since the beginning of time. You probably have some stories where you win at the end. Yeah. Like you could really lead with those. And so yeah, it's like a weird mixture of like. I can see why the Lochnar told like the B the B-52 story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it tells the the alien spaceship one, and then it just cuts back to it like hovering in front of the girl. Yeah. And I'm waiting for the for the Lochnar to go. I'm not sure why I told you that story. It was a bit inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. I forget why I brought that one up. <laughs> and then apparently it's... in that segment. it's like on the girl's brooch. Mm-hmm. No bearing on the plot. <laughs> yeah. Like it was literally just like... Uh, she, she has Locknard earrings from Hot Topic. I don't give a shit. <laughs> they're, they're like that doorknob's kind of round. That could be the <laughs> Locknard. Um... So I looked it up, and apparently uh, I knew about most of these, like Dan, Captain Stern, or, you know, well-known to somebody like a mid-tier geek like myself. I had to look this one up, and the title of this segment is uh, So Beautiful and So Dangerous. Which,
0: that,
1: what? That, what? I don't know what that refers to. Uh, I mean, it's, you could say, like, oh, it's about the girl because she is beautiful. Never especially dangerous like she doesn't like steal the ship at the end or anything like Fairly straightforward Uh, apparently it is Was a much much longer graphic novel? Hmm. Uh, I think it was like serialized and then they collected it. Yeah, Uh, so the point where they crash land on the ship that's the end of like the first seventh of the comic at which point they proceed to have other adventures like kind of Hitchhiker's Guide style. Yeah. Like they meet like a giant celestial style robot and have yeah. like a philosophical debate with it. They go to like a slave colony where they have to have like a prison escape.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So again, it is all very like DR and quench, yeah. I think. Um, apparently the main character in the comic is, it's not even like the girl, it's uh, like this nevishy Woody Allen type. Which uh, good glad they changed that. Yeah, don't need to don't need to worry about Woody Allen. By the way, I saw today that he's retiring from what from filmmaking. Sadly, not from life, but uh-huh. from uh, from filmmaking, uh, which I had to go on Act and dig out like the meme, like the uh, you're retiring. Why now? Why not forty years ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I. Like, it's neither here nor there for the heavy metal episode, but we've talked about Woody Allen before. Yeah. E- even if he was like the coolest guy in the world, like, even if he had never allegedly molested anybody, uh, even if Woody Allen was just like the Henry Winkler yeah. of comedy directors in terms of like his behavior on set and everything, uh, it's like you got to separate the art from the artist. Okay, but the art does suck. Yeah. Like
0: got three good movies.
1: Yeah, even the ones where people are like, Okay, I'm not I'm not like a Woody Allen fan. He has a low batting average. But the purple Rose, is a Cairo, I and mean, then you watch it and it's not very good. Yeah. It's like look, like the guy more misses than hits, but every now and again he'll make a he'll make a Midnight in Paris
0: or a Blue Jasmine and then you'll watch them and they're not that like they're they're fine. They're nothing yeah. special. They're just movies. Uh, that's what you, that's all you can say about them? They're movies? Yeah, yeah I, d- I don't need to see, like, a
1: fucking 100-minute movie called, like, The Long Line at the Deli. And then, like, every actor in the world is in it because they're like, well, to be fair, he only molested people within his own family. <laughs> and it's... Th- that, that really does fascinate me, though, because everyone's like... I refuse to work with you know, Jeffrey Tambor or whoever with like, yeah. like totally up to the individual. I'm yeah. Not making fun of that. But the same people who will go like I, I can't in good conscience promote this movie with Johnny Dapp in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are the same people who will go work with Woody Allen because they're like he lets you leave set at four yeah. in the afternoon. Like I he pays for me to go to Rome. Yeah. Like, wow, that's, uh, I think we see how far this extends if, like, a, a fucking trip to Venice is involved. Interesting set of morals. Yeah, interesting. Possibly shifting set of morals from those, uh, libtards and holly weird <laughs> with their shifting morals. Yeah, not like me. Uh, everybody I like is unimpeachable. <laughs> not literally. Many of them have been impeached multiple times and stuff. Uh, So, yeah, anyways, he's retiring, and I'm like, yeah, just uh, a mere four decades after he made Love (laughs) and Death, and then probably should have called it a day. Uh, So, anyways, yeah, I'm glad they're stuck with, like, a hot girl that looks like a drawing on the side of your meat notebook in, you know, (laughs) 8th grade. Uh, The one, honestly, I don't know if I care much for the comic either. It seems, like, kind of of its time. Not not in terms of being offensive, but just that kind of, like, what if a, like, a gleep glorp got into an argument with another bleep bloop about, like, the nature? It's like, Douglas Adams did this perfectly a while ago, and we, like, we don't need to just do that over and over. Yeah. But it it was, like, a thing that was very popular at the time. The one thing that makes me glad I researched it is the John Kennedy robot, like, the little three-foot robot. Yeah. Do you know what its name is? What Titan? <laughs> that's kind of great, right? I like that. I have to assume it's a reference, like he's made of titanium, rather than his size, or his dick is just huge. Yeah. Or maybe that's the joke that it's like, like the big guy named Tiny, sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so yeah, we have that story that just sort of ends, which barely features the Lochnar, which the Lochnar is like, I, I'm sorry, I was just stalling while I tried to find the slideshow of the real story I want to tell you. The Legend of Tarna.
0: <laughs> Which is the big finale. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what do we say about Tarna? Tarna is basically the closest thing we have, aside from Den, the closest thing that we have to, like, a big hero in the... Yeah. And uh, she lives on the planet Boobulon. Yep. Where <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the the South Park episode where Kenny starts cheesing... I wanted to talk
1: about that, at, like, either now or... If we didn't get to it now, I was going to do it afterwards, but... Uh, no, 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 but by all no, means, like... When
0: he, when he starts cheesing, the, the fantasies that he has where, like, everything is like an intergalactic dragon and everything has boobs, Yeah, that's a heavy metal... Reference that—that's why that episode is so great. Yeah, like it opens with him like
1: riding in the space Corvette. <laughs> yeah. and it, it's just like shot for shot. He crash lands. Then later on, when Kyle's dad does it, he lands the the uh, bomber plane. <laughs> then there's the scene when uh, in like Kenny's dream, the boob queen is getting tortured and riding. <laughs> yeah. I I knew what it what the the thing was a reference to. I did not remember that it was a shot-for-shot, shot. like, yeah. Dude, they just, like, redrew the animation <laughs> from the rotoscoping <laughs> yeah. down to, like, the whipping and everything. Um, so, yeah, the South Park episode, uh, It's it has the usual South Park thing of, like, make the same joke three times and just have it, like, escalate each time, which is, well, I, I'll take that over just, like, disconnected family guy clips yeah. I guess um, it's like every it's like every South Park episode where it's like a little bit longer than you remember it being. <laughs> yeah but it is very very funny uh, I've said before like there's things about South Park I like better than other things but they are terrific when it comes to parody mm-hmm. which that's like the weirdly the the weak spot for a lot of comedy yeah right because if somebody just goes like uh, it's get it it's a parody of The Fugitive you're like yeah we've all seen movies like this yeah. that like it's low hanging fruit like well what if they had a lightsaber battle mm-hmm. or some shit like that for some reason South Park's the opposite where they are at their best it's like yeah let's just do like an altered state reference <laughs> uh, there's one thing the one episode where they, they talk about like George Lucas raped my childhood like the Indiana Jones thing yeah which, that that should be like the most annoying thing because that that's so stupid. Like, yeah. Oh, like the Phantom Menace wasn't good. George Lucas ruined my childhood. Like, I think everyone's sick to death of hearing that. But they make it funny because of when they do the scene of like they George Lucas and Steven Spielberg raped Indiana Jones. You're like, but shut the fuck up. Like that should be your reaction. But when they have the rape scene, it is. The Jodie Foster movie, The Accused. Yeah. Which nobody remembers. Yeah. So it's just the specificity of, like, it's, like, the two directors as Hicks, and they get Harrison Ford, or, like, Indiana Jones, like, up against a pinball machine. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, yeah, not fun to describe, I know, but, you're like, it's just the specificity of how weird mm-hmm. they get. So same thing with the this. It's, like, after five seconds, you get what it's a joke yeah. of. But they just keep going where it gets more and more violent and mm-hmm. more and more things have tense. Yeah. So <laughs> Let the walls have tense. Yeah, you you so you finally have like the god emperor voice, like the typical Trey Parker voice.
0: You have to say it, no doubt over the Yeah.
1: It's like Stop, she has another suitor. The two of you must engage in gladiatorial combat. Let us retire to the Boobopolis. Let us retire to the Booby Lot on the 4. So it's the giant tit-covered coliseum where they are riding joust ostriches yeah. with pendulous breasts. <laughs> and they each have a lance with a giant tent on the end of it. And at that point, it's just like literally like no surface. <laughs> isn't either covered in blood or socks. Uh, so like it's the shit like that where I'm like, yeah, this is why I'm fine with the show <laughs> never going away. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, so it's only slightly exaggerated from the Tarna sequence. Uh, it's apparently, I've not read the thing, but it is based on uh, the Morbius's uh, short Arzak, which uh, was... I read was an inspiration for other things. Apparently, uh, it was an inspiration for Nausicaa. Hmm. So it's, it's that weird thing of like, huh, so without this, we don't have Nausicaa, which means we don't have Studio Ghibli. If you don't have Studio Ghibli, you don't have The Great Mouse Detective, so you don't have the Disney Renaissance. Like, yeah. I love the interconnectivity of yeah. all this stuff. <coughs> uh, what do we actually think of the... <coughs> Sorry, what do we actually think of the Tarnas
0: segment? Because uh, it's basically the last third of the movie or so. I like it. I, It's because it's just so itself. It's yeah. so purposefully pulpy and lurid. And sometimes that stuff can backfire. But other stuff, like a Verhoeven movie, mm-hmm. it works. This does feel like it... If- Verhoeven ever made a cartoon,
1: mm-hmm. so there's that. Um, I do, I do like it. I feel like it's as long as it needs to be, but that makes it not necessarily my favorite. Uh, because watching the the rest of the movie, and like, yeah, maybe like ten minutes is the ideal length for like a mm-hmm. like a heavy metal short story. This one's close. I don't think it's quite a half hour, but it's. Maybe like yeah. twenty five minutes. It's the only one I enjoyed it. It is the only one where at any point I was like, "Hey, eh, let's let's get a move." Yeah, like, maybe, maybe like the Colosseum fight against the Don Franks uh, orc.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I was like, "Eh, that's they could be like moving a little faster." Yeah, because that's that's the one downside. Like rotoscoping can look amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when it doesn't look amazing, it can look very striking. Yeah. Um, whenever there's a fight scene in a rotoscoped style, that's when you go, oh, right. Uh, medieval combat is actually not super fascinating to watch. Yeah. It's just, ugh, uh, you missed. Ugh, ah, oh, very palpable hit. Like, yeah. like swing a sword actually does take a second. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's just bits here or there where it's, like... I, I feel like the the old men could be counseling each other a little faster. I feel like the the death battle could be a little more, like, anime-style at this yeah. point. Uh, but, so it, it's the only one where I, I could, like, see it being tightened at all. But on the other hand, I wouldn't want it to be much shorter because it's... It is the main course. It, it, yeah. like this is the, yeah, it benefits the most from that kind of epic scope. Uh, also looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you get some great Mobius designs. I love like the little court helper guy who's just like a bald kid wearing like, not full on Donald ducking it, but it's essentially like a huge like 80s pop talking heads. Uh, coat and jacket and cravat and then just Speedos from the waist down. Yeah. That feels like a very Morbius choice. Um, there's some goofy touches. I like the Loch Nahr lands in a volcano and a bunch of lava comes out and mutates people. Mm-hmm. The main villain who's like an evil poke voiced by the great Don Franks. The lava washes over him and you see his hand come out as like a, like it's green. Yeah. And then he emerges, and he has this weird-looking like helmet, mm-hmm. and it he, he looks kind of cool. But you're also so did, did the lava give him a helmet? Like yeah. So, anyways, the Tarnis segment, uh when it looks good, it looks good. Like there's rather famously, there's the scene where she like strips naked and bathes in a ceremonial pool, and yeah, gets her her bit of a costume.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's basically like. Knee boots and an eye patch. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, she she gets that on. It looks really good. And I don't just mean in the kind of, like, leering way. Like, oh, yeah, it looks real good. Have a close-up. Yeah. I don't just mean because she's stripping naked. Like, it is a huge, beautifully designed. It's, mm-hmm. like, Cyclopean architecture and everything. Looks Like they actually knew they were making a movie that would be in theaters. Yeah. uh, In terms of the size, then you have the scenes of her riding her little like pterodactyl dude, Mm -hmm. where it's rotoscoped, but it's also a rotating shot.
0: Yeah. Insane.
1: Yeah. Usually, the thing with rotoscoping is that you just take like a shot and then you draw over it. Which is why it's a pretty, doesn't have to be just like side view 8 bit video game, but it's like a set plane. Yeah. Uh, like if you look at the Minds of Mariah fight and the <laughs> Minds of Mariah Carey and the Bakshi Lord of the Rings, uh, it, it has to like maintain a consistent dimension. Here they actually do like, okay, let's show her and then swoop around under her and then do a tracking shot. Yeah. It's like you don't see a lot of rotoscoped. Cities. It's usually like a character. Yeah. People usually don't have the patience to go like, no, why don't we just rotoscope like a photograph of New Mexico? Yeah. Um so it is a very, very good looking short, I think. Uh then ends weirdly abruptly, like the Tarna segment, she does like a suicide bomb against the giant Lochnar. Mm. And then it cuts back to the Lochnar in the, the house and it blows up. Yeah. For uh, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just like, did the Lochnar plan that or not? And uh, then the girl escapes, goes outside, finds a pterodactyl, and you see she has a tattoo, and she's the rebirth of Tarna, who it's like every generation there's the yeah. one warrior that can kill the Lochner. yeah And that's how the movie Well, no, that's almost how the movie ends. Roll credits, and what do we have playing? Working in a Cold mine. Yeah. <laughs> That even as a kid that was always weird to me because mm. each segment gets its own credits, which I understand. Mm. And each segment they will show like a couple shots from the segment, like while well, the credits are yeah. over it. And then it'll play the music from that segment. So Dan has like a recurring heroic theme. Mm. Tarna does, then like the the Gremlin segment has the actual like heavy man on cha-cha-like the one that they use eight hundred times in the South Park mm-hmm. episode. For some reason, because it does not feature in the movie itself, they're like, "Okay, let's go ahead and throw Devo in here." Yeah. So they just play like five seconds of working in a coal mine, which I I'm not personally like a huge Devo guy. I get why they're important. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's like Oringo boingo. I don't actually care about them, but I I mean I wouldn't argue that they're bad or anything. Yeah. But working in a coal mine is the kind of song that Dio fans like, where I'm like, yeah, that does sound like a nerd and a, like a bucket hat going, well, I've been working in a coal mine, man, I'm so tired. Yeah. So it's just, I feel like every Devo song is just like a cyberpunk cover of the big bopper. (laughs) Uh, so it's weird that we transitioned from that into like soaring orchestral music and mm-hmm. Black Sabbath and everything. That, by the way, that's one of the best scenes in the movie. The mutant mob attacks the peaceful utopian city while they play mob rules from Black Sabbath. <laughs> what else do you want? Yeah, yeah. So, what else do you want? What do you What do you think of uh, heavy metal? I mean, how would you, how would you rate the
0: segments? Um. I don't know how i rate the segments. So just looking at it as a whole film, mm-hmm. I really dig it. And it's not just, you know, nostalgia or my love of weird animation. It's good. It's just good.
1: Yeah, no, th- this is not just... Because there, there is some shit that we watch where it's like... We like it just because it doesn't look like anything else. hmm and I would submit that maybe they're not that great. Like you mentioned, you mentioned it earlier. A very different film from heavy metal, but you mentioned twice upon a time. Yeah, and that's a movie I've seen a couple times around early '80s, around the same time. Mm-hmm. It has a very distinct look. It's like paper cutout animation, and they shot it like over stained glass. Mm-hmm. So it does some interesting things with like lighting and character design. I don't actually love that movie very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I I like see clips of it. I'm like, wow, this, this, nothing looks like this. I got to track this down. And then you watch it and it's like, oh, it's fine. Like the stories, no great shakes. And it's kind of trying to be like a Rocky and Bullwinkle thing where they, they let the voice actors improvise Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Like, but it's, it's not like as funny as you want it to be or as good a story as you want it to be. And, Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm glad it exists just because it is such a weird, like, specific thing. But I don't actually like it that much. I do feel like Heavy Metal, the movie, I feel like uh, the quality does go beyond mere novelty. Yeah. Like, hey, they, they made a movie with, like, a bunch of tits and, like, 80s songs in it. It's not especially good or anything, but,
0: you know, you want to get high and watch it?
1: Yeah. Like, no, this is, this is actually just perfectly enjoyable, successful little movie. I think.
0: And anthology movies are they're good because Mark Gatiss from the League of Gentlemen on some of his horror documentaries that he's done, he says he over there they're called portmanteaus. Yeah,
1: he That's says, a very British thing over
0: there they're called bracky. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he says I love portmanteaus because. They're perfect storytelling devices. If you don't like one story, wait 10 minutes. There's something to be said for that,
1: but the truth is that most anthologies are also kind of a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. So, especially when it comes to uh, animated anthologies. So, uh, we made reference to Fantasia as well. Fantasia is a really good example. The movie is 130 minutes, so it's like a decent chunk of change. Yeah. And if you watch Fantasia, I'm like, I don't actually want to sit through most of Fantasia most of the time. Yeah. I'm like, I. Every now and again, maybe I want to see the thing with like the hippos and the crocodiles. Poor uh, Zernibal. Yeah, like the main thing whenever I'm like I want to watch Fantasia, what I actually mean is I want to go watch Night on Bald Mountain again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I But would you know that was
0: Rose Skopepel Lagozi.
1: Yeah, so you have that's like of course <coughs> far and away to stand out and then a bunch of it's kind of fine, but then I'm like yeah. I don't I don't really want to watch the thing with the dinosaurs and then I don't want to watch uh the interstitials where it's just like Leopold Strahovski or whoever, it's like, and now uh, we're gonna bring out the star of our show. This here is the musical note F. Hello there, Mr. Musical Note F. Well, don't be shy. Show yourself. It was like a little, yeah, like vibrating line. And I'm sure at the time you're like, people in 1940 were like. Is that real? Yeah. Is that what music looks like? Did they interview music? Like, <laughs> people were dumb back then. That's my point. People before now were stupid and didn't understand how things worked.
0: It's like that scene in the as-yet-unmade Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. It's what did the one guy
1: say. Uh, he goes like, I don't actually believe that audiences in 1900 were scared that the train was going to come out of the screen. I do believe that if you showed it to audiences today, 25% of them would be scared that that was (laughs) going to (laughs) happen. Um, so yeah, so those segments, which they're cute. I get why they're there, but I'm also like, oh, that's why this movie is two hours. Mm -hmm. And that's true of like Robot Carnival. There's segments I like better than others. Uh. Allegro no Tropo, if we're doing yeah. like really deep cuts, there's certainly some that are better than others. Mm. Uh, I could honestly make the case that as far as animated anthologies go, heavy metal might be the best one. Just in terms probably. of like nothing I'm going to cut, nothing like. Yeah, you know what? Like, so beautiful, so dangerous, like, probably is the worst part of the movie, just mm-hmm. relatively speaking. Yeah. You're, like, well, I still liked it, though. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't want it to not be in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, kind of weird that it comes before, the, like, the... Uh, this is the warm-up. And now I will tell you my second best story. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to sit down. The story's quite good. Um, but on the whole, I think it's, uh, it, it's just well done. And I feel like it came from a moment... Well, well, I'll kind of bookend this with what I said mm-hmm. earlier. Like, I like those moments when you can just kind of like make a movie because of whatever. Yeah. So, like, because you know directors had a lot of clout in the seventies, and then because there was like so much coke going around for like the seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. there's certain movies you know not not the usual like they couldn't make Bla- blazing saddles today. Yeah. Yeah, not for, so not for those reasons, uh, but just because, like, the way movies are made, the way, the way they're produced and financed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like right now we're in the total opposite of one of those periods where I'm not saying nothing good comes out, obviously. There's mm-hmm. tons of awesome movies, but, like, the studios can't make anything where, like, even Warner Brothers is like, uh, I'm not sure if uh, people want a Batman movie. How how would we even go about making such a thing? Yeah. Okay, but I don't want it to cost too much money. So we're, we're in, like, the full lockdown, like, uh, you like, okay, uh, just to be clear, craft services will not be free on this production just because of, like, how the economy and everything works at the moment. Um, heavy metal just, it felt like it came out of that era where, if you had an idea and a dime bag, they would let you make the movie. Yeah. And it's just like a lot of talents being devoted to something, which I, it, it's weird because I feel like heavy metal is very well made. The animation is well done. Like nobody's phoning it in. Nobody's like making a jerk off motion thinking the movie is beneath them. Yeah. But you, you feel like nobody took it too seriously either. It was maybe, I don't think anybody on staff was like, well, I grew up uh, reading Heavy Metal Magazine, yeah. so I was here to make sure that they got it right. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, like, maybe it was good that the magazine was new enough that you didn't have, like, we hired a Tolkien expert to go around and annoy the animators. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it's the same thing, like, the Backsheet Lord of the Rings.
0: No, it's not
1: as successful in any sense of the word as the Peter Jackson ones. hmm but it's kind of cool that it's out there. Yeah. It's it's like if they made like the Beatles one. Yeah. Like that would have been like not the definitive type. And I'm like, I dude, like a Yellow Submarine version of Lord of the Rings. I would have watched that shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, that that time when the things weren't quite as sorted out, where it wasn't like we knew the fans would eat us alive if we didn't get She-Hulk's hair right. Yeah. So it it's very much just, yeah. The cast of the National Lampoon Radio Hour mm-hmm. were like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I got I got nothing going on Friday, <laughs> and then because they have like free time and too much talent, and they'll come in and knock it out. Yeah. Without having that sweaty like we had, we had to slave over it to make sure that it was adequate. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. I mean. And, I'll mention the sequel in a moment, but any any thoughts to add to that in terms of the overall success of the film? It's
0: just that it's awesome. It's cool that it exists. Yeah,
1: and it's it feels like it doesn't go out of style. Like I feel like kids are still somehow stumbling upon heavy metal. Yeah. So uh, even if it, maybe it's not on like TV in the middle of the night, but it's it's like so. Every, you're, everybody's going to eventually have, like, the older brother who goes, like, hey, uh, I watched this thing called, like, Monty Python, The Holy Grail. Have you seen this shit? Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. Like, so I think it, it, it will remain a perennial favorite. Uh, the same is absolutely true of its sequel. Um, we don't really want to talk about Heavy Metal 2000, do we? No. Yeah. So... I feel like the production of Heavy Metal 2000 much more interesting than the movie itself. Unlike this, where it was just kind of like we hired some people who were good at their jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Heavy Metal 2000 has like such a weird long track to getting made and then being immediately forgotten. Yeah, like the sort of thing where like it only exists. I didn't remember until you started this episode. Yeah, the only like extant physical media of heavy metal 2000 is that they package it with the original yeah so it's like a chromebook 4k like hey come see the heavy metal double feature yes both great movies are included you can see rocky horror and shock treatment (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's the shock treatment heavy metal 2000 is very much like the David Brent doing the dance <laughs> yeah. like see people are buying a lot of copies of the heavy metal double feature they, they wanted both great movies to be in this uh, <laughs> this dual slipcase edition yeah it is a weird amazing thing that exists uh, it's not good you shouldn't watch it but uh, they did go ahead and make a sequel it is funny how 40 years later everybody remembers heavy metal Mm -hmm. and 20 years later nobody remembers heavy metal 2000 yeah and oh okay that's the perfect place to end and i'm I'm not the one to make this observation but somebody said it's the same as what happened with fantasia yeah fantasia timeless classic fantasia 2000 uh the the gershwin part's kind (laughs) of (laughs) cool so yeah same same thing I don't think we'll do it next episode, but maybe we will have to do a heavy metal 2K episode sometime. Yeah. yeah. yeah but I, I don't know. That's probably more than ample talking about. I, I f- fulfilled my mandate of the episode being longer than the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So there you go, folks. That is heavy metal. See ya.
1: Wonderful.